is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey gang, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 487, I think, recorded on Thursday, May the 21st, 2020. Uh, Is that number right, Jason, 487? That's what I have. Good. Uh, So whether it's right or wrong, we're in agreement, and that's good enough for me. That's all that matters. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope you are all doing well out there. It's been a couple of weeks since we podcasted. So, you know, Jason, how's it going over on your neck of the woods? About as well as can be expected, Chris. How about you? I would say the same, I guess. I mean, things things are, are okay over here, you know, still doing the same thing we've been doing for the last nine or ten weeks or whatever it's been now. I have completely lost track of time. Uh, We just had a long weekend last weekend here in Canada, and I feel like it snuck up on me. You know, I was working away that week, and then all of a sudden, oh my God, it's a long weekend. What are we going to do? I'm actually looking more forward to this weekend than I was last weekend. Why is that? It's a normal two-day weekend. Yeah, for us, but for the States, it's it's their long weekend. Oh, really? So Monday, I got to work, and I'm not going to have any meetings. Oh my gosh, that's so nice for you because you... It's better than a day off because, uh, you know, with everybody in the States uh, working last weekend, uh, I received a number of phone calls and messages uh, by people who completely forgot that it was a holiday in Canada. It's like, hey, are you going to be able to join this meeting? It's like, well, no, I'm not at my desk. It's a holiday. Oh yeah. So I got inundated with those kind of things and that's not going to happen on Monday. That's great. You'll be able to just take the day off, kind of. No, I'll actually be able to get work done instead of just having <laughs> meetings. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. So much more so than, uh, than last, last Monday. Well, I, I, that's sort of, sort of what I mean. You get to take the day off from meetings, which is like a day off for you. It is. I that, clocked in at nine and a half hours of meetings today. Uh, that just doesn't seem productive. It seems like too many. It, it really is. Yeah. Well, I, really I'm, I'm sorry about that. I have a lot too, because I'm working from home and I spend at least half my day on Zoom calls, uh, but nothing like nine and a half. That's, that's too many. Yeah. Thursdays are a bit hectic. Last Thursday was like this too. So I, I got to do something about this. It's just too much. It's just too much. Talk to somebody, file a complaint and see what they can do. Yeah. I'll just have to tell uh, my boss and my boss's boss and his boss that uh, the Thursday afternoon, two hour meeting that they have scheduled from four to six on Thursdays just isn't working for me. No, it could probably be a a single email instead of a two hour meeting. Well, yeah, well, it probably could, but it's actually a whole bunch of meetings instead of sending everybody for a three day conference. Oh boy. All right. Well, either way, you've got too many meetings. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're going to have a day off on Monday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A day to do stuff. It's going to be great. All right. Well, uh, speaking of days, Jason, today, Thursday, May the 21st, is uh, National Notebook Day. Oh. And I thought that might mean something to you because you're a guy who appreciates a really good notebook. You're a guy who has, has journaled in a notebook at various points in his life. So I discovered that the third Thursday in May, you know, going back to 2016, <laughs> is designated as Notebook Day, yep. uh, and it is, you know, just a day that is about c- celebrating the importance of journaling and what it can do to help us. So 
a happy notebook day to you, my man. Thank you. I do enjoy, uh, I do enjoy my journaling or used to, haven't done it in a while, but, uh, yeah, I've journaled in some way, shape or form since grade school. Well, there somewhere. you go. So, yeah. And, uh, in case you're wondering, my favorite journal, like I've searched high and low and far and wide, uh, was one that my grandmother gave me years and years ago. And it was so amazing that I couldn't put pen to paper. I liked it so much that I couldn't write in it. And we, we know this about me. Like I do that with TV shows. I'm so excited about this TV show. I can't watch it. Right. right? I've done that. <laughs> uh, so I actually found, uh, where she got the journal and purchased a bunch of them so that uh, I could continue to write in them. And I love them. They are the every man's journal from Lee Valley tools in Canada, and they still make them. And if you have the opportunity to buy one, do so because they're amazing. Acid-free paper, they'll last hundreds of years, uh, even if you get them wet. So do that. And then I also went to Renaissance Art and ordered uh, and got custom uh, a leather bound, uh, custom leather cover for it uh, with my name engraved on it. And I actually got one for uh, the Jasper's first Christmas. I got uh, a leather uh, a leather cover for a journal for him with his name in it. So it's waiting for him when he's ready to start journaling. What did I tell you? I knew, I knew <laughs> that notebook day would be meaningful to you. So I pulled it, pulled it out for today. So there you go. Love it. Love it. All I have, right. I have a whole bunch of these journals cause I'm afraid that the uh, Lee Valley tools will stop making them. Well, so. yeah. And, and all the ones you've written in, I really think you should publish them someday. Oh, nobody wants to read that crap. I mean, I can't even do. me. No, <laughs> no, you don't. It's a lot of boring stuff, That's but it's fine. formatted really well and I have good penmanship. So and, yeah, take that. And it's on very nice acid-free paper. It, it really is. And the nice smell of leather when you're journaling. Oh, it's wonderful. And paper, leather and paper. You should sit at your rich mahogany desk and drink expensive scotch while you write in your leather-bound acid-free paper journal. Well, I have a custom-made Akosha desk <laughs> uh, that, I, that I made and I actually love it. So I'll, maybe I'll write on that, but I don't think I'll be drinking any scotch. Maybe some uh, uh, double shot. Uh, what do you call this this stuff? Starbucks double shot energy and coffee drink. Love that stuff. Well, that's scotch. That should keep you going tonight. Good. Yep. All right. Well, happy notebook day to everyone out there, especially you, Jason. But uh, if you're a journaler, spend a few minutes writing in it today because it uh, it wants to be written in, and today is notebook day. Yeah. Do it for uh, you know generations down down the road. Uh, if you know, you may not read it, your kids may not read it, but somewhere down the road, maybe, uh, your great grandkids will go, holy shit, this person wrote in this journal and this is what their life was like back in 2020. Yeah. Especially now they'll be interested in what's going on these days. Probably not. All right. Well, before we really get started here, I wanted to mention a couple of listeners and say thank you to them because both of them have recently sent us stuff. And the first yeah. one is a package from longtime listener Shenandoah, who a good three months ago, maybe more, let me know that she was going to send something for you, Jason. Yeah. And in fact, it arrived, uh, I don't know, two and a half months ago to my office. However, unfortunately, it has been sitting there all this time because I haven't been in my office for a long uh -huh. time due to you know, COVID-19. And uh, until recently, until last Thursday, when I was able to go into my, my work and do some things and pick some stuff up. So I finally have this box in my possession. 
and I'm going to figure out a way to get it to you. But I just wanted to say thank you to Shenandoah for sending that in. And sorry, I didn't mention it earlier, but it's because it's been sitting in my office for like nearly three months, you know, waiting for me to go get it. And, and you're not going to say what it is? No, I'm not going to say what it is because it's sort of a surprise for you. So I'm going to get cool. it to you this weekend if I can. Uh, and then the other one is uh, another, uh, you know, regular listener, Jennifer in Minneapolis, who recently emailed and said, I want to send you guys something. And that package came uh, a couple of days ago. But this one I will talk about. Jennifer has made us, you know, homemade a couple of Walking Dead masks. Really? Yeah, because right now it's recommended that everyone, you know, wears masks in public and at various stores and stuff like that. Obviously not everyone is, but uh, it does sound like a good idea to help protect yourself and protect others from spreading the virus. And she made a couple of masks, a couple of Walking Dead masks for us. One for me, one for you. And they are just absolutely amazing. So they're here in my house and I'm going to include it in the package I get to you this weekend. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah, very, I'm very cool. forward to that. That's cool. It is cool. Thank you, Shenandoah. Thank you, Jennifer, for both, to both of you for those things. It's really appreciated and uh, really fun stuff. All right. So this week on the podcast, we are going to be doing our actor spotlight on Ryan Hurst, which we'll get to in a little bit. But before then, we've got a little bit of listener feedback and first, a little bit of Walking Dead news. So let's start with the news. The Walking Dead News. All right, just a couple of items this week to get caught up on some of the latest details. Uh, you know, as everyone knows, Jason, the season finale of The Walking Dead was postponed due to the fact that they couldn't finish post-production on the episode to get it on TV. Mm-hmm. But it seems like we may be inching a little bit closer to getting that done because California is on the verge of announcing new guidelines for the entertainment industry and reopening things and getting people back to work. Now, the reason it's California... on uh, but, you know, everyone knows the show shoots in Georgia. It's because most of the post-production work is done in California, I guess, in Los Angeles in a studio somewhere. Right. So according to UndeadWalking.com, they have an article, and uh, this paragraph comes from that article. As California makes progress in the fight against novel coronavirus, Governor Gavin Newsom is putting forth guidelines to allow some industries to get back to work. On Wednesday, he addressed the entertainment industry and announced that details would be forthcoming about how studios could get back to work as soon as the last week of May. The new guidelines will be formally announced on Monday, and they will include details on how studios might be able to move directly into his phase four blueprint for reopening. So I don't know exactly what the phases are of reopening, but it sounds like some of the entertainment industry work will be able to kind of jump ahead a little bit. Uh, and they'll be able to get working on the behind the scenes stuff, you know, related to TV and movie production again. So hopefully this means they can finish episode 16. I'm thinking by mid June and then get it on the air soon after that, which would be great. So if all goes well and you know, I can take the optimistic approach, I'm hoping the walking dead can have its season finale towards the end of June, which is about a month from now. That'd be great but that timeline is completely fabricated by your own little brain. 
Well, sure it is. But, you know, if they're going to get back to work the last week in May, they have a month. I'm giving them to get it on the air. Now, who knows what AMC is going to want to do, if they're going to want to delay it and make a big deal out of it. You know, I can see them doing that for marketing reasons and so on and so forth. But I just want to see it and I hope they get it on. It's not like anyone who's waiting for it is not going to watch it. People are going to be excited. So uh, AMC, make it happen for us. Get her done. Get her done. Yeah. All right. Um, the other item I've got here is that last week or, you know, maybe the week before, there were some rumors swirling that there would be another season of the Walking Dead video game originally created by Telltale Games. Right. You remember that one, of course. It had, of course. It had four seasons, but Telltale uh, went... They just collapsed and went into bankruptcy a couple of years ago, right in the middle of creating season four of that game. And then Skybound jumped in to take over and complete the final season, which was great. So it got out there. People were able to play it. Uh, and now Skybound owns the game, basically. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a post on Reddit in the Gaming Leaks and Rumors subreddit that appeared... Um, with a whole bunch of details on a potential season five for the game, even a title. And the title that was listed was The Walking Dead, A Fatal Frontier, <laughs> which I think is a good title. <laughs> yeah. Is that uh, they're going into space, like the final frontier for Star Trek? Maybe. I don't know. They've, they've invented a spaceship and there they go. Uh, so everyone got very excited about that. And... People who love the game were like, yes, Skybound is keeping it going. We're going to get more Walking Dead video game. It's the best video game series, you know, related to The Walking Dead, as most people are concerned. Um, and they were all very pumped about it. Well, apparently it's not true. I'm sad. Oh, son sad. of a... So you just got my hopes up for nothing. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I, I just wanted to let everyone know, in case you heard that rumor but then didn't see the follow-up, uh, Skybound Games via Twitter said, thank you to the fans who have reached out in, a recent, in recent days. While we wholeheartedly appreciate your enthusiasm for Telltale's The Walking Dead, we currently have no plans for a season five. Assholes. So that's unfortunate, I suppose, but uh, what are you going to do? Now, we, they could be making that up because they're not ready to tell us yet. They could be lying. I mean, this is Robert Kirkman's company after all. Yeah, it's a double lie. It's a double lie? It's a du double lie. They're lying about lying about it. <laughs> I mean, it's Kirkman. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, there you go. Well, um, who knows what could happen. For now, it seems like there is no more The Walking Dead from Telltale or Skybound. But you never know. It could happen. I mean, somebody just has to go to them and say, you know what, guys? You could probably make a lot of money doing this. So maybe it's worth your time. And then they'll be like, oh my God, you're right. The money. Let's do it. I totally forgot about the money. <laughs> totally forgot about the money. That's right. <laughs> like it's about anything else. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. That's it for the news. Moving right along. We're going to do a little bit of listener feedback. Cool, cool. Listener feedback. Okay. First, uh... Jason, I meant to talk to you about this before we started recording, but I forgot because I'm kind of a doofus. Fair enough. This message comes from listener Mark on our Facebook page. Now, it's related to a couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about the show Devs, 
at the end, you were trying to remember a book. You were trying to recall <gasps> a book that you read. Yeah. I must admit, I don't remember all the details of the book that you were trying to recall. But I'll tell you, it has to do with a, with a crab and a, and a cricket and telling the future and time travel and forgetting about a guy. Okay. Well, Mark wrote, I think the book Jason described may have been Mute by Piers Anthony. That's it. Is that the one? That's it. That's it. All right. Well, I'm excited. I, I mean, I'm I, excited. I, film 2018 film there's a movie apparently let me see if it's uh mute Piers anthony i'm so excited i can't even type yeah well I, I mean i don't know where else to go with that right now but it it felt good to possibly get you uh or bring that back to mind for you so and now we wait while jason googles and reads about it <laughs> do, you, do we need to pause so you can go and like download the audiobook yeah hold on one second Please stand by. A telepathic weasel and a clairvoyant crap. This is it. This is it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Sorry, what was that fine gentleman's name? Mark on our Facebook page. Mark, you're the best. You're All the right. absolute best. Well, there you go. Right. Telepathic. I gotta calm down. You Tele should have told me beforehand. This is too exciting. <laughs> it, telepathic crab and a, a weasel? What was it? It's a weasel. It's a clairvoyant, oh, sorry, clairvoyant crab and a telepathic weasel. Okay. Well, if that sounds exciting to you, the, the book is Mute by Piers Anthony. It's very exciting to Jason. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's very the exciting. internet has saved my life. This is the best <laughs> news I've had in like three or four weeks. That's fantastic. Good. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm happy to uh, pass on Mark's message. All right. So let's sign off so I can go and listen to this book. Well, we, we got to finish here, but you can do it as soon as we're done. All right. All right, uh, we have two calls here. Both are on One Cut of the Dead, which is a movie we watched the last time on the podcast. The first one here comes from uh, Daniel in England. So um, I took your advice and I stopped the podcast and um, watched One Cut of the Dead. And I've got to say, half an hour in, just thinking why. I don't get it. I don't get it, don't see it, don't understand what's going on, why is it, why did they say you must see it? Oh well. And then all of a sudden, a handbrake turn, just brilliant. I, I, oh my God, I was not expecting that. Loved it, great stuff. Thanks for le making me watch it. There you go, Daniel. So another endorsement for One Cut of the Dead. Uh, again, don't, you know, don't read anything about it, don't watch the trailer, just go and... Uh, and watch the movie, everyone, if you want to. And then if you haven't yet, listen to last the last podcast, uh, number 486, about One Cut of the Dead, because we talk about it. Uh, this is a call from listener George, also about One Cut of the Dead. What's up, fellas? This is George from uh, Metro Detroit calling in about this uh, Cut of the Dead or I think that's what it is. Yeah, you know I love to listen to you guys. I wanted to get through this, uh, but that was torture. I'm not really a subtitle guy. That's probably the first full movie I've ever watched like that, just because I want to hear you guys talk about this silly film. All right. Um, looking forward to listening to it. About to listen to it today or tomorrow. All right, thanks for what you guys do, and keep doing it. Looking forward to more. All right, 
but I think that will be I'm one and done with those um, subtitles. Torture. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Bye. It, it was torture, though. Bye. <laughs> All right. Thanks, George. So, yeah, clearly the movie is Japanese. It has subtitles if you want to watch it in English. Uh, and if that's not your thing, then, I mean, I can't help you, I suppose. But uh, just in case anyone was wondering, you do have to read the subtitles. Still a great movie, in my opinion, though. I forgot there were subtitles. Well, there you go. My brain doesn't, well, my brain does obviously know that there are subtitles, but uh, uh, I tend, I watch movies with subtitles all the time, so, and TV shows, so it doesn't bother me. No. And Mm. and I didn't even, I forgot that there were subtitles. I don't know why, because I don't speak Japanese, so that's the only other explanation, is that I didn't watch them with subtitles, and somehow just intuitively understood Japanese. Well, uh, who knows, man? It's anything's possible, right? But yeah, there you go. Um, you know, George, not so into it, but Daniel totally endorses one cut of the dead and I do too. So go check it out. I don't know what that means. I need subtitles. Uh, that means, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Jason. Oh, that'll get you pretty far probably. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good. Alrighty, uh, finally, now here we are going to do our actor spotlight on Ryan Hurst. So we haven't done an actor spotlight in a long time, Jason, and in case anyone is unclear on what this means, uh, it, it means that we take an actor from The Walking Dead and we go back through their catalog, we choose a few things from their previous work, and then watch it and talk about it on the show, sometimes with an eye to you know, how, how it kind of developed them as an actor or led them to the walking dead, but not really always sometimes just sort of a, what do we think of these, these other things that the actors have done before they made it to the walking dead. So it's kind of fun. We've done a lot of the primary actors, but we haven't done one in a long time. And so here we are to talk about Ryan Hurst and we were going to watch four things from his back catalog. The first of which is his first IMDb credit. Very, very first IMDb credit, yeah. which was Saved by the Bell, the new class. So not even the original Saved by the Bell show, but the new class, which I guess is a new group of students at the same school, set. same high school. <laughs> On the same set. <laughs> you know what? I'm not even sure it's the same set, was it? I, I really couldn't tell you. I, I was unable to stomach an entire episode of Saved by the Bell uh, <laughs> back when it was on the air. I mean, but you stomached this whole one, right? I sure as hell did. Barely. And it was, are we talking about this now? Like, this is, this is what we're talking about? Yeah, we're going to do Saved by the Bell, the new class the, right now. And just so everyone knows, it was season one, episode two. So the second ever episode of this particular series, and it was called The Slumber Party. This was fucking torture. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. It, my my TV uh, was embarrassed. Your TV was embarrassed. Well, my computer, because I watched it on my computer, but you know how I talk about the best thing that my TV ever showed me? My TV was mad at me for tell- for showing me this. It was absolutely horrendous. It was cringeworthy. I tried twice to turn it off and had to physically restrain myself from doing it. <laughs> the only reason being... I didn't want to have to watch it five times if I didn't see the whole thing. That is the rule. If you, if you don't watch something for a spotlight or you turn it off, the, the rule is you have to watch it five times. That's right. 
So you, you might as well spend the 23 minutes or whatever this was to get through it. It was, it was the worst. I had a bad day. I had a long day. This was the worst <laughs> 23 minutes of my day. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I pretty much agree with you. Like it was so bad and so such a colossal waste of time. Uh, you know, no offense to anyone out there that loves this show, but man, man, was it just brutal. Now, Ryan Hurst plays like a, a dumb football player who falls in love with, uh, <laughs> he falls in uh, love with one of the other characters who is male, but who's dressed up like a girl. So he falls in love with this guy dressing up as a girl. Committing a crime. And that's a crime, right? To, you know, to dress up as, uh, or to, you know, falsely represent yourself, uh, in order to, uh, I don't know, hang out with teenage girls while they're at a slumber party. It's gotta be illegal somehow. Well, his, 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 uh, plan was to do this and then convince one of the other girls that himself was worthy of dating. Right. But he had to like do this disguised as a, as a girl. So they would like let him dressed up into their house. And so he could like deliver that message. Uh huh. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but of course this is the premise. And, and on this show, hilarity ensued or what they think is hilarity. Uh, so, but as far as Ryan Hurst is concerned, you know, quote unquote, she rejects him and his life basically falls apart, <laughs> you know, from his, name, his character's name is Chunk, right? Yeah. He didn't stand out. Everybody was over the top in this show. It was, it was absolutely ridiculous. The characters were dumb. They did dumb things. Uh, the, the comedy was slapstick and it was just, it's Saved by the Bell is probably the worst thing that was ever on TV. I'm, and I'm not going far out on the limb to say that this was worse, right? This has got to be worse than the original Saved by the Bell. Well, it probably was. Yeah. I mean, follow-up shows that are trying to milk a successful show are, I would say, not as good, usually. Seven seasons. Of this. This show went on for seven seasons. Not just Saved by the Bell, but this new class show. Seven seasons. So somebody was I, watching it. I was blown away. It ran from 1993 to 2000. <laughs> It's really, it really boggles the mind. I know. I am floored. I am absolutely floored that this thing exists. First of all, made it to the air. Second of all, and lasted seven seasons. It really is quite something. What did you think of Ryan Hurst though? I found him nearly unrecognizable because of what I'm, how I'm used to seeing him. Uh, I didn't, I didn't find him nearly unrecognizable because my first introduction to Ryan Hurst was in the show Medium. And he was kind of doughy in that, right? Uh, yep. So in that show, he's only, he was only on for a few episodes, but he's kind of, uh, and I was kind of blown away at the transformation between uh, his character in Medium and his and Opie on Sons of Anarchy. And we'll get to that stuff. Uh, but then <laughs> the transformation between like this guy and the Lady Killers, which we'll also talk about, uh, it just, he's all over the spectrum. He's just this big, Dumb acting, doughy guy in this show who is almost completely unre unrecognizable. Uh, but he's so over the top dumb. Uh, he kind of sadly, he fit right into this show. Like, I'm not sure whether this was him acting or the direction or uh, how he got to this character. 
but it was just so, I, I'm not even sure how to describe it. It was just, it was, it was too much. I mean, it's his first role, right? So he was probably just happy to get on screen. Uh, but I, I know it was the Can character- you imagine Ryan Hurst sitting down and watching this? Oh, I, the, the, the horror, like the absolute <laughs> horror that he must feel about this show, about his performance in this show uh, altogether. Yeah, but you know what? He probably looks back on it now going, that was, those were the early days. I was, I just needed a paycheck and I was going to take anything I could. So maybe he looks back on it and laughs. I don't know. Uh, yeah, hopefully. What I found weird about this show is everything about it felt weirdly sexist. And, you know, I, I have a bunch of examples here. Like the, the boys at this high school all just assumed that the girls would like them. And, you know, otherwise they were, all the male characters seemed just obsessed with cars and video games. There's a scene near the beginning where one of the boys, they're in in this restaurant, I guess they hang out in. And one of the boys follows a female waitress with his tongue, like hanging out and wagging. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he then imagines girls at a sleepover worshiping him if he's in the room uh-huh. and they're all wearing like, um, it's not belly dancing attire, but it's something similar to like that, you know, with their midriffs like exposed. Genies, uh, you know, Aladdin's lamp kind of, uh, right. harem-esque, harem-esque. Kind of exactly. That's how he's imagining it. Um, there's a, there's a part where one of the boys tells his girlfriend that he's going to change the oil in his car and she can come over and hold the funnel. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, pretty, pretty brutal. And I'll be honest, the girls aren't much better. They're all just boy crazy and stuff like that. And I even noticed that during the opening credits, and I don't know why I noticed this, but during the opening credits, it was all the male characters first and then all the female characters. And Mm. I couldn't think of a reason for them to do that other than they just decided that the male characters come first. I don't know why. And it seemed odd to me. And, you know, thinking about all this, I was like, you know, I know high school kids are all like horn dogs, and this was 1993, but it really feels really gauche. And I don't know if that's because I'm just looking at it now with a 2020 viewpoint, but it was weird, man. It was weirdly sexist, all of this stuff. No, I don't think it's it's your perspective that is uh, tainting this. This is complete garbage. This is re- reinforcing stereotypes that should never uh, have been reinforced. <laughs> it uh, you know, boys like cars and video games, and the girls should worship them for uh, for that. Yeah, and for just being boys, and uh, they don't care. Like the the personalities of the the girls uh, did not matter whatsoever. Like nope. it's just never factored in. It was just, I want the girl to be interested in me and this is what the kinds of things that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it was pretty brutal. The way I describe this to myself is that, um, there, there was another like universe of shows on TV for a while by a guy named Dan, Dan Schneider. And he did a lot of shows, but he did a few that were related to each other. And I know them because my My kids watched them for a while. And this is shows like iCarly, Sam and Cat, and Victorious, specifically. Those are the three I know. I know you probably don't. Never heard of any of them. I recognize iCarly, but that's only only the name. Yeah, so he did these shows about different characters, although um, uh, Ariana Grande 
crossed over from a couple, one or two of them, I think, playing the same character. And this was early in her career before she made it as like a singer. But this Dan Schneider guy made all these shows. And I must admit, I've seen a bunch of them because my kids watched them and they actually kind of had their moments. They weren't great, but apparent, but occasionally they did like parodies and stuff like that. You know, there was an episode of Victorious that was a parody of The Breakfast Club. And right. I found it entertaining and, and sort of funny. And Sam and Cat had its moments and, you know, so did iCarly. So actually some decent comedy in these. And I started thinking, if you took out all of the good comedy, all of the clever writing, the sort of parody stuff, and just left everything else, you might end up with something just as crappy as Saved by the Bell, the new class. It, like none of this show had none of that stuff. It was, it's not done by the same guy, done by different people. But, you know, for, as a teenager, sort of high school type show, those other shows by Dan Schneider had a little bit of charm. This had nothing. So yeah, that's how I'm, I compared I'm in, it. I'm embarrassed for the nineties. <laughs> and that, that, that says a lot. And God, the nineties were our decade, man. It it was it it was the, it was our dec our decade and luckily I'm so glad now that uh, in '93 was when I first moved to Toronto and it was around 2000 the year 2000 the year 2000 <laughs> was when I first started getting cable again so I didn't have cable for a long time when I moved to Toronto and there was no other way to watch TV so I didn't really didn't watch a lot of TV in those in those days other than whatever was broadcast over the air mm -hmm. uh, and this luckily. I guess NBC, I could have gotten it, but I don't know why, but I never even knew this existed until we started doing this Ryan Hurst thing. And now that I know it exists, I want to go back. I want to, I want to not know that this exists again, <laughs> if at all possible. I want to unknow this, unsee it. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I want to scrub this from my brain. It was, uh, it was, is the worst thing I've ever seen. All right. Well, I, I'm sorry to hear that, but I basically agree with you. So, uh, we never have to watch it again. Which is nice. Oh, thank God. Let's, let's just never talk about it again. All right. Well, let's move on to our next selection here, which is going to be the 2004 movie, The Lady Killers. Lady Killers. Yeah. This is directed by the Coen brothers. It stars Tom Hanks, Marlon Wayans, J.K. Simmons, Irma P. Hall, and of course, Ryan Hurst as a character named Lump Hudson. And the IMDb. It goes from chunk to lump. Yeah, that's right. Chunk to lump. <laughs> The IMDb description is an eccentric, if not charming, Southern professor and his crew pose as a classical ensemble in order to rob a casino all under the nose of his unsuspecting but sharp old landlady. Yep. So what did you think of the Lady Killers, Jason? This is a Coen Brothers movie, as I said, and they've made some good films in their career. This sort of falls in the middle of yep. it. But what did you think of this one? So I have never seen this before. I had, I, I am a little bit surprised because I am a kind of a Coen Brothers aficionado. I like the Coen Brothers. I like what they do most of the time. There's been some stuff that have been uh, outliers uh, that I, I didn't like, but uh, I'm a little bit surprised that I had never seen this before. I knew it existed. I, I remember the trailer and Tom Hanks's character. Uh, and then I was kind of floored by the, uh, the ensemble cast and uh, a little bit overjoyed to see a all these people, uh, in this movie, uh, it had, it was mildly charming and sort of entertaining, I think is ultimately the way this goes. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I would agree with that. I, I thought it was a weird little movie, and the Coens make some weird movies, but in a lot of ways, this was um, the least weird, I would say, of many of their films that I've seen. And I haven't seen all of them, but I'd never seen this one before, like you. Uh, but it was, it was pretty short, nothing special, but mostly entertaining, and I would say generally I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, really? it, was, it was also expected, right? The lady killers, you kind of knew what was not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I kind of guessed at the beginning, it's just like, well, they're going to have to kill this lady, but that's not going to happen because you can't kill an old lady in a movie uh, that's a comedy. You can't do it. I mean, they, everybody else could die, but you can't kill the old lady. Uh, that's true. Everybody else right? could die, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I liked it and it was... I thought it was the, I thought the thematically it was a little bit vague, you know? Um, and I thought maybe some of the characters were quirky to a fault a little bit, you know? They but, were all quirky to a fault. Well, yeah, they were, but I'll, I'll get to one in particular, but, um, you know, as much as I sort of enjoyed the movie, uh, it was a decent watch. You know, what was it trying to say that criminals are bad or you get what you deserve or well, it was a heist movie gone wrong. Right. It was a, uh, you know, your typical heist movie, you have to dig into a vault. I mean, we've seen that a billion times. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's, uh, you know, a, a quirky look at that kind of genre. Right. And, but that's what I mean. Like that, that's, I guess that's enough on its face, you know, just take a sort of a, a, a different take on this kind of a heist movie. As you said, they're trying to tunnel into a casino vault and, and rob it. Um, but I, I was just sort of like, what, what's the point? But there doesn't always have to be a, a very distinct point, I suppose. So I, I was okay with that. You know, the characters, as I was saying, they're all entertaining, but they're all really caricatures in a way. And to me, they all felt a little bit out of place, but again, that may have been the point. And I was started to think, you know, maybe this is just a group of really different kind of misfit characters who come together to get a job done and they're all just a little bit on the far side of believable to me because of yeah. how sort of one note they all are. Um, and you know, I would say that especially applies to Marlon Wayans in this movie. The other guys, at least I could sort of believe come together, but he just feels like he's in a different film. Like, I don't know what he was doing. really. <laughs> swearing a lot, swearing a lot, but he was so different than these other guys. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, he, he didn't really work for me. I understood his, his part in the film and what he was there to do, but he just felt so out of place, you know? Well, I think that might, it might've been the point. Well, right? yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, and I'm nothing against Marlon Wayans, you know? Uh, although I'm not, a, can't say I'm a huge fan off the top of my head. I can't really name another movie he's been in, but I am aware of the guy. It's just like, weird, weird character for this, for this film. But what are you going to do? They were all a bit weird. Uh, Tom Hanks, on the other hand, I really enjoyed. And again, he's a guy I typically enjoy, but he's this Southern professor who loves poetry, who, who's supposed to be able to recite it really well. But it's one of the most eccentric Tom Hanks performances I've seen. And the way he was able to deliver the dialogue he was given and weave together these impressive word usements, I was quite on board with. I, I enjoyed Tom Hanks a lot in this one. 
Oh yeah, you point Tom Hanks at a thing and it becomes a good thing. Oh, that's true. Tom Hanks, <laughs> I mean, has he ever gone wrong? He's probably made bad movies. Uh, I mean, Splash was pretty good. Oh, Splash. Right? Jesus, I forgot about Splash, but I loved <laughs> Splash when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big Daryl Hannah fan. I've never really liked I've never been, been able to wrap my head around Daryl Hannah. No, but I can remember being, well, I don't know, 15 years old. I don't know when Splash came out or how old I was when I saw it, but I can imagine being a 15-year-old boy going, huh, mermaid movie. She comes yeah. out of the water. Maybe there's a tiny chance we're going to see a boob? Did, yeah. I don't know. If, did we see a boob? I, honestly, I don't even remember. I, but I, I don't think we saw a boob. I, John I, Candy was in that too. Oh, Maybe I did like that movie. John Candy. I seem to remember a lot about it. I mean, John Candy was was a genius in my opinion. So yeah, good old Splash. Maybe, maybe the Money Pit. Maybe that's that's what I'm thinking of. Is is not that great? It was him and um, what's her name from Cheers, Diane. Oh, you know I've never seen the Money Pit. Oh well, don't bother. Okay. <laughs> what about J.K. Simmons guy? There's uh, Jason. There's another guy that I really really like. What do you think of J.K. Simmons in this one? Well, J.K. Simmons, again, you point J.K. Simmons at a thing and that thing becomes a good thing. So that's why I was excited about this cast. Uh-huh. Right? You see, like, you see J.K. Simmons, there was, uh, what's his name? Uh, stapler guy. He was the head of the casino. Where he took my stapler? Oh, yeah. Office yeah, space. Yeah. Office space guy. guy. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, anything he's in is good, too. So, I mean, I was excited about the cast. I mean, it, it, you know, I like J.K. Simmons. I like that character, this character. That uh, that he was playing. He's like the demolitions good. expert, right? Yeah. And he he's yeah, expert. Well, <laughs> sure. <laughs> he's well, the one that you gets... know, you you get a taste of everybody's characters right at the beginning, right? To see how they fucked up enough to get into this crew. Uh huh. And you know, he killed a dog, so he's not the best at whatever he does, but he does try hard. <laughs> right, and trying hard goes a long way. But don't kill a dog. Come on. Yeah, that's the first, that's the first thing he did. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, so J.K. Simmons is great. I love watching him in things. Uh, Irma P. Hall, as the old lady who they rent the room from to tunnel into the uh, the casino, she was she was great. And what I loved about her is, you know, she she lives in this old house by herself. She's a widow, and but she's very self sufficient. It feels like she, you know, she walks down to the police station. Uh, at least a couple times in the movie to like let them know what's on her mind and sort of give them a piece of her mind. I enjoyed that. But what I liked the most is she has this painting of her dead husband hung in the house above the fireplace yep. and she talks to it, right? And I thought one of the best parts of the film and maybe one of the quirkiest things in the film was the way the expression on his face in the painting would change depending on the circumstances of the movie. Yes. That is that's, uh, so great. It is good. And it's a, it's a, it's a technique of masks. Like when doing a, a performance with a mask, any mask has multiple uh, emotions tied to it, depending on the circumstances. They reflect the emotions of the, of the, of the audience. And you can see that in, uh, well, I'm thinking V for Vendetta mm -hmm. uh, specifically. He, he uh, uh, Hugo Weaving was doing something similar with that mask, right? He never takes off the mask. The mask is static; it never changes. But you can still read the emotions on that mask. Yeah, 
based on what's going on and the performer. So the, it was the same technique with the with the painting. So yes, he had a look on his face, but that look meant different things depending on what was going on. And it was really good and really well used yeah. by the Coen brothers. Totally, totally agree with that. And for me, though, outside of that, it just it gave the, mo- the movie this touch of whimsy or kind of flight of fancy sort of feeling, you know, just that it's a little bit left of, of reality in a way, the whole thing, you know? And yeah. I, I think that even comes back to the characters a little bit too, and how you can get this group of characters that seem so different, but are all supposed to exist in the same time frame, which, uh, you know, is actually vague in my opinion. Like one minute, the movie feels like it's in the 1950s. The next minute it feels like it's in the nineties. And I think this was intentional too, and reinforced by these weird characters and stuff like that. So, yeah. You know, the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, this does have those little Coen brothers touches that you, you get in some of their other films. They just might not be quite as overt in this one. Yeah. You know, again, you said this is kind of middle of the road, so it's, and it is middle of the road in their career and in their, their capacity as filmmakers. Like it's kind of, uh, it's not great, but it's not terrible. It's kind of okay. It was kind of, it had its charm, but it wasn't like mind blowing or anything. Yeah, no, but I, I, I just think the more I talk about it, the more I actually think I enjoyed it. So that's good. I mean, that's good when you reflect on a film and if it gets better and not worse, that's a good sign. I, I'd say. Yeah. Now Ryan Hurst plays a dumb football player. Yeah. Again, my, right? my, but uh, in a different way. My, my note was again, plays a big dumb football player. <laughs> yeah. But did you see the fucking pipes on him in this, in this movie? Well, he's a big, huge dude. Yeah. But the, the, the arms on him at this point, like this guy had been like, he's, you know, performed in that Saved by the Bell, the new, I knew we, I, I promised we'd never talk about this again, but he went from that to this and he'd been working out the whole fucking time. I guess he had, cause he, he had some arms, eh? But then he, like, this was before Medium, was it not? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I believe yeah. I, I, uh, this was 2004. So probably before Medium. Yeah. Yeah, so let's see when Medium, 130 episodes. Yeah, 2005 was Medium. Okay. So, uh, we'll, but we'll get to that. But yeah, he's uh, he's ripped in this, but he's uh, plays a big, dumb football player. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's the muscle or the manual labor on the team. That's what he's hired for. He, he doesn't have too many lines in the movie, and most of them are like one-word grunts in a way. So he's... <laughs> He, like, I don't know if you can quantify dumb, but he's pretty dumb in this movie as compared to Saved by the Bell. Yes. I mean, but he did a better job in this than in Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell, he was way over the top dumb. Uh, in here, he was also way over the top dumb, but in a different way, and more kind of a more introspective dumb. Like, he pulled out that trombone and he was completely fascinated by it. <laughs> like, what the hell is this? This thing's got a slider. This is amazing. And then he had an idea, uh-huh. right? Why don't we just bribe him? Right? right. So, you know, uh, as soon as he did that, I'm like, okay, the dumb guy is the idea guy, right? It didn't, you know, if they had stuck to that, where all the ideas came from this big, dumb football player, that would have been hilarious, but they didn't do that. They just had this one, he had the one, this one idea, but you know, maybe he's not so dumb. He's just kind of, uh, uh, or or he is, but he's curious. He's dumb, but curious, you know? Yeah. He, He has a desire to understand, which makes him not so dumb after all. 
I kind of enjoyed the opening scene with him where it was all his perspective, right? It was the sh- it was shot from within his football helmet. Uh-huh. I, I kind of enjoyed that. It was okay. I, th- I felt like it went on a little bit too long and I thought, why are they showing us this? But once I realized that they were giving us a real quick introduction to each of these characters, uh, it, it made sense. But um, we got a little too much football helmet for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird to see him go from Saved by the Bell to this because it's a, a, a similar character, but, but different. And you're right. This one was just better and fit into the, the film and the story way better, I think. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So that's, uh, the lady killers. I would, I would recommend that. I would watch that one if, if I were you, especially if you're a Coen Brothers fan, maybe not their best outing, but Certainly not too bad. Next on my list now, Jason, is Medium, the mm-hmm. show you've mentioned a couple of times. Season 3, episode 18, which was called 1-900-LUCKY. And uh, I'm not clear. Have you seen the entire run of Medium from start to finish? I have. I have, yes. You have. Okay. Well, you're going to have to explain this show to me because I don't get it. <laughs> uh, Patricia Arquette uh-huh. is a mom of uh, three kids. Two kids. At least two. I, I saw I forget one. how many kids he has. But he, she's a family uh, a family person, family woman. Uh, she has a husband and a couple of kids, and she takes them to school or, and stuff. But uh, she is also psychic. She can, uh, she has visions while she's sleeping, mm-hmm. as well as can talk to dead people. So dead people show up and give her information, and she uh, uses this to work with the police and solve crimes. And every week is a crime. Right. So I wrote down that she is a psychic detective, but she's not actually a detective. She's a civilian who consults with the police, right? Yeah. Much like Sherlock Holmes. Fair. Um, <laughs> but I, it took me a little while to figure that out. So watching this- Well, in this one, it was, it was kind of gray, right? She talked to one of the detectives and then, uh, what's his name? Uh, Miguel Sandoval is, uh, her boss. He's the, uh, uh-huh. the chief of detectives or whatever. They don't really play into that. Uh, so- it starts off where she just starts talking to the police, but then they start relying on her more and more. Sure. And then she becomes a professional consultant as things go on and uh, stuff like that. And how that impacts her family life. Right. So I, I sort of picked up on all that by the end because there was way more in this episode uh, with her family, with her husband and her kids, who incidentally, I found the kids super annoying, Jesus. But Well, uh, they kind of are, but th- that's normal. Like the, every show is like that. Yeah. All right. You know, it's, uh, you know, talking to her husband and dealing with her kids. And it turns out one of her daughters is psychic too, because it, you know, uh, Patricia Arquette, her character got it from her mom and passed it down to her child. And I guess her brother is also a little bitty bit psychic. Well, here's the thing. Um, so going into it, I realized she's this psychic. She helps the police solve crimes and we're, uh, presented with this crime or she gets this case where the wife of the victim has been using a phone line psychic to help her through life. And the phone psychic turns out to be Patricia Arquette's brother on the show. And I thought, oh, this is an interesting premise. We have a real psychic and now there's going to be a certain amount of irony in the fact that the, that in this episode, nobody takes her brother, Michael seriously, uh, who's pretending to be a psychic, but there's an actual real quote unquote psychic on the case already. And I think that could be 
funny, ironic, and, and lead to some fascinating or at least entertaining stuff. And then you get partway through the episode and it turns out Ryan Hurst, who plays her brother Michael, actually can see people. And yeah. he is a psychic too because he sees the dead husband in the bathroom of the house where the crime takes place. Yeah. Okay. So to be fair, that whole thing that's set up where we know that he has psychic powers, just like his sister is set up in a previous episode. Like this is not our first introduction to this character. It's not new information. It's, uh, it's, it's information that the audience would already have. Right. So that would make some sense, I guess, if you knew going in that he already had a bit of this information, but to me, who'd never seen an episode of this before, it didn't really work. And that is to be fair, I mean, not the show's fault because I jumped in into the middle, not having any context for what I was about to watch. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's this, this kind of show fits, uh, it's right up my alley, right? It's, uh, it's a show where it's all about talking and there are no car chases. So it's the kind of thing that I would definitely watch. And watching this episode makes me think, you know what? I think I might go back and rewatch these because I have them all. Uh-huh. It's not like it, it, you know, they're in my library. I've had them for years. I got all the DVDs. I've burned them. Uh, so I could just watch them. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. I could give them to you. You could watch them. I don't think that's going to happen. And <laughs> like, I didn't think this was very good at all. But again, I hesitate to really pass judgment on it. Having only oh, watched a dumb show. one episode in the middle. But yeah, it all felt really dumb to me. And um, again, that's not really fair, but I can only sort of judge it for what it is by itself. So I, I thought Patricia Arquette was not very good. Although I, you know, I can't really tell you too much about the rest of her career. So I don't really have a lot to go on there. Uh, but on the other hand, I thought Ryan Hurst was actually okay in this. Uh, I, I enjoyed him being on screen is is basically yeah. what it comes down to. I thought he did a good job uh, amongst the cast that the rest of them were sort of meh at best. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, so far of the three things we watched, he's fit right in to whatever's going on in the show, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Saved by the Bell, which I keep bringing up again, even though I refuse to talk about it ever again. Damn you. Uh, he fit right into that stupid piece of shit. Like he was right there with everybody else and same with the lady killers. He was just, he was a quirky, weird character and he fit right in medium. He's fitting right in again. He's just as meh as the rest of these meh characters in this (laughs) meh show. Right. (laughs) He's, uh, he, he, so he's the kind of guy that you want to have on your television show because he fits right into whatever the fuck is going on. Yeah. I suppose that's a good quality to have as an actor. You know, you're very versatile. You can, you can adjust your style or your performance to match the tone of the show. And maybe that's why he's become so successful. Yeah, maybe. He's, you know? uh, he's, uh, he's the drummer of actors. Uh, and the reason I say that is because, uh, you know, I like playing in a band. I like being on stage. I like performing, but I do not like being the center of attention. Right. So uh, being a drummer is perfect for me. For maybe for him, it's perfect that he just fits into whatever's going on in the background. I mean, it's, it doesn't really stand out and he may not have a career that pops. He'll never be a, a leading man kind of thing, but uh, whatever's going on, he's your guy to fit in the, that cast. Yeah. No, that's a good quality. That is definitely a good quality. Uh, but let me ask you another question about this show. 
a few times, well, at least twice, I would say, they used the main riff from Smoke on the Water. Is that a regular thing? Is that like the theme for the show or was that just this episode? Just this episode. Okay. I don't recall that being a, a, a thing. All right. Well, it really stuck out to me and I thought, oh, maybe they just love Smoke on the Water and they, they use it all the time. I don't know. Well, that would get weird, but why not? Yeah, it really would. Um, but, you know, Ryan Hurst as Michael, he becomes the focal point of this episode and he's presented with a massive dilemma at the end from the dead guy who he talks to in yeah. bathrooms all the time. And so I guess the, the crux of all crux of it all is whether he is going to um, more take the money and run. We'll, we'll put do it that the right way. thing. Do, yeah, whether he's going to he... do the right yeah. thing. Yeah. So he does the right thing in the end. Spoiler alert for this particular episode of Medium, but eh. uh, he turns down the money. You know, if I were that ghost, <laughs> I'd give him the friggin' transit code to the account anyway. I mean, who else is it going to go to, right? It's just going to sit there and the bank is going to get it. I wouldn't, you know, let the bank have my money if I had the opportunity to give it to some schmuck. Give it to I'm somebody. Sure, I'd try and bribe him to get him to do what I wanted, but that didn't work. Why not? You know, what's the harm? And just giving him the money. I agree with that. Just give him the money. It's going to somehow make his life better, you know? But uh, yeah. Ryan Hurst does the right thing, and uh, and we move on. And he, he's only in a few episodes of this show. So, you know, as Patricia Arquette's brother, he doesn't really show up that much. No, he just comes in and out as, uh, as the plot needs. Okay. But the one thing I wanted to highlight in the show is the realism of telephone psychics. I knew a telephone psychic. I played in a band with a tel. Well, she wasn't a telephone psychic. She was a telephone tarot card reader. Oh. Uh, so people would call in and she would do readings for them. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and she worked from home, like they forwarded the phone to her. So when a call came in, if it was uh, just random, uh, if she was in line for the next call or if somebody asked for her specifically, then she would uh, get on the call and make so many uh, cents per minute because it really didn't pay very well. No, I can uh, imagine so. <laughs> and she, you know, it's the same kind of thing. You know, you sit there and you watch TV and you're frigging house, house coat until a phone call comes in and then you, you know, you do your thing for a few minutes and talk to them and then they hang up and, uh, you know, you make some money eventually. Right. And, uh, yeah, you're doing it in your apartment on your couch and while you're eating a pizza. Exactly. I remember <laughs> going, uh, hanging out with her and, uh, the other guy I played in the band with, the three of us were in a band and I decided not to go home for Christmas and the three of us hung out at their house for Christmas and, uh, she would do regular readings over the entire Christmas holidays. Well, there you go. It was the worst Christmas I ever had. <laughs> so next time you're going to go home. It was absolutely uh, it was horrible. I was depressed. It was, anyway, that's a bad Christmas. All right. Bad Christmas. Well, the final thing on our list here is Sons of Anarchy, uh, season four, episode 11. It was called Call of Duty. And I would say that maybe this is the show that really made Ryan Hurst, you know, gather some fame around his life and in his career. Not that he was the main character of the show, but he was certainly a pretty top build character. And yeah. I would say that Sons of Anarchy was so successful that it, it you know, made a lot of people on this show um, or, or, or created fame for a lot of people on the show outside of the, the primary, the real primary cast who were already pretty famous going in. But um, this is Sons of Anarchy. I have, again, I watched the pilot of this show years ago. 
for some reason didn't continue with it. I'm not even sure why anymore, but so this is only the second episode I've ever seen. And I jumped from season one, episode one to season four, episode 11. So I missed, uh-huh. a, I missed a lot. <laughs> that a lot happened. Yeah. And you know, a, a little bit of my feelings on this is similar to medium where, you know, just sort of jump in in the middle. You have no context. You doesn't know, you don't know what's going on. I don't know what any of these characters are all about. I don't even really know what the deal is with the motorcycle gang that they're all in. And mm-hmm. so it's hard. It's hard to, you know, form what you feel like is a valid opinion on it. But I must admit, it's clear that this is a better show, in my opinion, than Medium. And uh, <laughs> obviously, um, Saved by the Bell. So, again, yes, I've watched the entire run of uh, Sons of Anarchy. And uh, it's not the best show in the world, but it is pretty good. My favorite part of this show was Ryan Hurst. Opie. It, it's tough. It's not, it's not the, the main characters. Opie was a great character. Uh, there was a number of, uh, other actors that were in the, like the, uh, the, the guy with the really long beard. They all had really long beards, but kind of an old guy, uh, with a pot belly, with short, a really long beard. Stocky guy. Short, yeah. short, stocky guy. Uh, I really liked him and the, uh, the Irish guy with the scars on his face. Uh, he was a fantastic character as well. Wait a minute. The, the, the guy that's in, oh, what's the. Sam Crow, that's what the gang is called? Yeah, Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club. Yeah. Redmond Original. There you so go. So that's what the RO is. Um, you're talking about the Irish sounding guy in their group because they were fighting yeah. like the Irish mob or whatever in this episode. Yeah, they were because, yeah, okay. But, so that's a whole thing. No, yes. but listen, but I wanted to say, I think he's Scottish actually, not Irish, unless I don't know what I'm talking about, but his accent sounded more Scottish to me. Oh, well, that could very well be. Okay. Well, he's an Irish character. Oh, all right. So I just assumed that that was an Irish accent. <laughs> oh, well, I, I didn't know either way, but anyways, just wanted to clear that up. So so originally, yeah, they, uh, uh, Sam Crow runs guns. That's primarily what they started out doing and mm-hmm. what they do. And they get those guns from the Irish mob. They sell the, uh, they sell the guns in, in the States and they give the money to the, uh, to the Irish to fight, uh, in, you know, the IRA. Not to fight the IRA, but the IRA is who they're getting guns from. Okay. And then they have a disagreement with them. So this is when the whole thing fucking falls apart. <laughs> when it all right? blows up. <laughs> so you, yeah, this, this episode is right smack in the middle of, uh, you know, what's going on. So there's no real context given. And it's one of those shows where if you don't start at the beginning of the season, you don't know what the hell's going on. So watching this, like I had seen the whole thing, so I kind of knew the context. But watching it, I was thinking, Chris is not going to know what the hell's going on here. And Ryan Hurst is barely in this episode. I thought he was in it more, but he only shows up at, you know, a few spots here and there. Uh, and it, it reminded me much more of a soap opera than I recall it ever being. But it was so soap, soap opera Yeah. Well, I mean, Ryan Hurst wasn't in it a lot, but I think he played an important part in this one, especially the very, very end. But, I mean, I enjoyed this. Uh, but I, I felt like I was missing a lot, you know, and it's, it's, it became clear to me that this show really probably benefits from the characters history and their relationships, you know, but, but even that being said, like I got a feeling for, for the dynamics of the gang and who was related to who, and the fact that Katie Seagal was with, um, Ron Perlman and that, yep. that guy you hate, Charlie Hunnam was their son. 
right? Yes. Uh, not she. He's uh, Katie Seagal's son, but not Ron Perlman's son. Right. She is the. He is the son of one of the other founders of the of Sam Crow. Yeah. Sorry. I, even that was dead. even that was clear actually to me. Um, but uh, I, I I do feel like I would have gotten a lot more out of it if I had any connection previous connection to the characters in the story and obviously I would had I watched it from the beginning probably even if I'd watched it from just the beginning of season uh four um but things like uh there's a scene where one of the guys one of the other guys goes and he he tears off his sort of rank I call it a rank badge on his jacket which shows what rank he is in the in the gang and he gives it back to Ron Perlman and he's basically quitting the gang I guess for reasons and even watching that having no history with this i could kind of feel the weight and the importance of it and and that's good and like that's that's a testament to the show that not knowing what that quote-unquote means i sort of felt like oh that's important that's a big deal that's maybe come back to haunt both of them yeah they're uh and it throughout the entire run of this series uh they're the the colors that they wear or the jackets that they wear and the uh, the badges that they have on those jackets are very very important. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that uh, they have uh, Redwood Original, like the uh, uh, this is like this town. This is the the founding uh, club, right? They founded the club. Uh, Ron Perlman and uh, Charlie Hunnam's dad and uh, these other characters, the older characters, are the founding members of this club, and it spread. From all throughout southern uh, Southern California, there's uh, chapters in Ireland. There's chapters all over the place now, right? But these are the the uh, the Redwood Originals, and that means a hell of a lot in uh, in this. And they make that very very clear. So ripping off one of their badges is uh, yeah, it's very a very big deal. Yeah, and and I could I could feel that watching it, which I thought was good. Um, there's that scene in the bathroom where there's the dude with the mohawk and the head tattoos who is upset, and yep. one of the other guys comes in, and and the the head tattoo guy says that they'll kick him out of the club if they find out his father was black. So is yep. is the motorcycle club racist in that way? They're sort of racist in that way, but not really racist because, uh, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, Maybe, it sounds pretty the, racist. The short answer is yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the short answer is, uh, yes, they are, uh, a bunch of the bigots that are very particular, but, um, yeah, th- that was a, a plot line. Uh, you know, the feds were trying to squeeze him for information and they were using that as leverage. We'll tell the, uh, we'll tell Sam Crow that your father was black if you don't, uh, do what we're asking you. So he's been, uh, right on the edge of, uh, you know, losing it for quite some time to the point where he, you know, walks through a, uh, potential minefield or a minefield, not caring if he lives or die because he's so on the edge that, uh, if he died, he'd be, he'd be okay with that. Right. So yeah, that, uh, that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah. So speaking of mines, there's a minefield in this episode, which sure, I could sure is. I couldn't help but think of the minefield that princess takes them through on walking dead and a few guys step on mines in this one. Yeah. We lose the character that's been kind of, uh, big in the show for a while. Like he steps on a mine and blows up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who that is, but yeah, a couple guys step on mines, body parts are flying around. And what was horrifying about it is that 
you know, you, they step on the mine and they have a couple of seconds to listen to the sound of the mine, uh, I don't know, arming or engaging or whatever before they explode. So they know what's about to happen. That, that's not, uh, that's not unrealistic. I know. All right. It's, uh, and a lot of mines are, are not triggered by stepping on them. They're triggered by stepping off of them. Right. Which we've seen in shows and movies before too, right? So people stand there on mines hoping that someone can, can, yeah. uh, we saw that in, them. uh, in fear, uh, didn't we? Fear of the walking dead. Yeah. You're right. Fucking minefield there too. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't help but think about it. So there were mines and in this case, dudes just blew up and they're like body parts landing around the place, which was pretty gross. Um, so. I'm a little surprised that this is the only show, the only, uh, of the four things we've seen, uh, with Ryan Hurst in it, this is the only one with Danny Trejo. And I'm a little bit surprised by that because old, he's usually in more stuff than that. Good old Danny Trejo. He, he's awesome. I like that guy. <laughs> Yeah. 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 He's actually a fed in like he's, he kills people and he's undercover, but, uh, he's actually working with the feds. What on the, he is? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. No idea. You don't know that in this episode yet. I don't think. Well, I certainly didn't. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. He's, he's like working at the bar. He's the bartender, right? Danny Trejo? No, he's, uh, he was, uh, with the Colombian cartel. Oh, okay. I, I thought, I thought there was a scene, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Anyways. Uh, There's Kate, another guy at the bar that, uh, had his, uh, all his fingers cut off and he had, uh, do you remember that guy? Oh no, she, I missed that. She, uh, there was one guy with, uh, I, it just showed up in one shot. I forget. Somebody saw him and he just, he has, uh, they cut off most of his fingers. Uh, and he only has his pointer fingers. Okay. Uh, to be able to point to things because he was a chronic masturbator and, uh, he couldn't stop masturbating. So they cut off his fingers. So he couldn't masturbate. Oh, yeah, and he can't. It wasn't, it, it wasn't him. It was in prison. I think that that happened. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny. In a horrific kind of way. Yeah. Uh, Katie Seagal, always awesome. I've. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever watched her in something I really didn't enjoy, but I wanted to ask you, the scar down her chest, is that part of the show or is that like a real life thing where she had a pacemaker put in or something like that? Part of the show. She had uh, okay. open heart surgery. All right. Well, there you go. I don't go. know if that's a real Katie Seagal scar, but it's definitely something that comes up in the show. Okay. There you go. That's, that's good to know. I recently watched her on an episode of Dead to Me, the Netflix show. I, right. I, also with um, Christina Applegate, actually, mm-hmm. uh, not that she was in this, but they were on uh, that old sitcom together. Oh my God. Oh, Married with Children. Married with Children. Yep. Uh, but Dead to Me is far superior <laughs> to that. Uh, but Katie Skull, great. So I, I yep. liked her a lot. And then I, I guess I just wanted to call out poor Tom Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he plays a porn producer. He shows up every now and again, but this is his uh, final episode. Right, This he doesn't show up after this, I assume. <laughs> no, he does not. No, all right. <laughs> I mean, so I don't know what else I can say about the Sons of Anarchy. I, I thought this was good. It, it, it would have benefited me, again, like everything, having watched more of it. And I got to admit, though, Jason, the final scene, which did involve Ryan Hurst, uh, heavily, that made me really want to watch more. I kind of am like, oh shit, what's going to happen now? And there's only three more episodes to the end of season four. Yeah. And I started thinking maybe I should just watch those three and just watch the end of season four and maybe that'll wrap things up and I'll feel good about it. But 
it was a good, intense sort of cliffhangery ending. So I got to say, it was, and that that's a, a culmination of a lot of things that had been going on. And uh, what's his name? The guy that would talk to him. He's actually the sheriff of uh, of the town. Uh, so he kind of, he doesn't really look the other way, but he kind of looks the other way because he has a crush on Katie Seagal and has, since they went to high school together kind of thing. (laughs) So, um, anyway, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a big deal where they find out that Ron Perlman killed his dad and Ron Perlman killed his wife and his first wife. Cause he also married that, uh, porn star that uh, showed up. A little bit later when he went, they went to the porn set. Oh yeah. Okay. Talked to her. He was married to her for a little while. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Ron Perlman's doing things to save the motorcycle club and to do that, he has to kill people that are close to his, uh, uh, you know, club members, including the, the old guy that he killed, uh, uh, Ryan Hurst. Dad was one of the, also one of the founding members of uh, Sam Crow. Yeah, you said, but Ron Perlman, man, he not only all that, but he beat the crap out of Katie Seagal too, and he doesn't seem like a very nice guy. He's not a very nice guy. Nobody is a very nice guy. Yeah, in this, and even even uh, you know, uh, Katie Seagal's not a very nice guy, and even uh, what's her name in the hospital when she uh, because she got her, her hand busted up. She's not a very nice guy either because that's a whole thing. Uh, she marries uh, Jax, um, uh, Charlie Hunnam. Yep. And uh, she, you know, starts off as being, you know, pure as the driven snow. She's a uh, pediatric surgeon uh, and is really, really good. But by the end of this, by the end of the run, uh, she's also in the weeds. Wow. Right. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I, I was I was interested in that character too, and and sort of how she fit into all of it. And I apologize, everyone. We're being super vague here. It's not my fault. I don't know any of these characters. I blame Jason. He's supposed to know them a little bit better. But there was a lot going on in this episode. There I was. I found it a lot. I found a lot of it interesting, and I kind of wish I knew more. More, but it it also feels like a really daunting task to go back and start from the beginning and watch it all. But it may be worth it. So I guess if you haven't seen Sons of Anarchy, it could be something that holds your attention. I don't know. I'll have to think about it some more. Yeah. A couple of things I wanted to call out too is Kim Coates, who was, uh, he's the guy that, uh, when they were, uh, talking to the porn stars and there was that, uh, the real life doll of one of the porn stars. Oh, that was so funny. Nipple. And he's, she's like, you okay? Like, I'm terrified and totally erect. Yeah. Like that, that he, he He's so good at this character and he's like that. He's just this twisted fucker who is just, uh, he's very weird and it's, it's kind of good and it gets even a little bit weirder as time goes on. Uh, but he's a really fun character. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to, oh, go ahead. I feel like that would be a little bit of comic relief on this show. Having a guy like that around, who's just so weird and the rest of the characters, like they respect him and he's a valuable member of the gang, but he's also, they're also like, what is with that guy? <laughs> you know? Uh, yes and no. I mean, he's also a sadistic killer who, okay. uh, does things like that, that they have to clean up. That, mm-hmm. that, so it's, uh, it's not just funny. It's kind of, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a serial killer as well. Oof. Creepy. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's not all fun and games. No. The, the last thing I wanted to call out is the scenes in prison with the guy with the eye patch and the scar over his eye. Oh yeah. None of that. I understood. I didn't know what was going on there. Yeah. He's also a couple things. He's also one of the uh, founding members who's in prison and he, uh, that character is played by the showrunner. 
Like that's that's the guy who runs the runs the whole show. Oh, that's that's not uh, Erickson, the guy who did Fear the Walking Dead, is it? Uh, let's see if I can find his name. Sure, no, Kirk Sutter. Oh, Kirk, Kirk Sutter. Sutter. Right. But so, Eric, yeah, he's he's a showrunner. Erickson was involved in this too, I if I'm not mistaken. But you're right, Sutter is is the main showrunner. That's fun. Have him on there as a character. Yeah, he's in prison. He's uh, yeah, he's he's a, he shows up all the time. He's it's a whole thing. I'm sure. It's a whole thing. Yeah, I would I would recommend this show. Okay. I mean, there's good, there's ups and downs. There's good parts and bad parts. Probably the uh, the episode I liked the least was probably the pilot. So, you know, take that. Yeah, and, and that's you know, go, that's go from there. That's not totally uncommon. Like, I am really a proponent of the idea that you have to give a show a little bit of time to find its footing, right? And you can't do that in one single episode. So. If I ever do go back to it, I mean, I broke my rule there. I, I need to watch at least four or five episodes to really see if I like it or not, which may, maybe I'll do someday. Although yeah. there's so many good shows these days. I don't know when I'll have time. Yeah, but uh, Ryan Hurst in this uh, as Opie is more of a dark brooding character. Mm -hmm. And he does not play football and he is not dumb. Nope. There you go. So he's broken so, out of his uh, typecasting. And he also goes, uh, he kind of also flips in this show from uh, doughy to ripped, to doughy to ripped. Uh, in this particular episode, he's kind of doughy, but by the end of, uh, by the mid-next season, uh, he's completely ripped. Again. Okay. I didn't think he was as doughy in this as he was in the other stuff. No, I've got, God no. He looked but a lot he's, better. Uh, he's, on, he's, you know, I think Ryan Hurst is on a, on a roller coaster of uh, doughy ripped, doughy ripped, doughy ripped. <laughs> uh, me too. You know, I'm in my doy phase right now, but uh, I'll get ripped again. Don't worry. I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, those are the four things. And I, I just wanted to summarize some this all here because we talked about these things in the order that I watched them. And I really think I sort of fluked into watching these things in the correct order because I started to imagine that... All of these characters that he played, Ryan Hurst, exist yep. in the same universe. And these four selections were chronicling his life as this character. Because when you think about it, we started with Saved by the Bell. He's this dumb, young, high school student chasing girls, just being stupid. Then the Lady Killers. He's still young. He's still dumb. But he falls in with this crew of criminals, you know, you know to be the muscle. And so he, he starts... You know, he, he starts down a, a life of crime a little bit there, still doesn't really know what he's doing. Then we get medium. He's grown up a little bit. He's in his mid-20s, maybe. He's kind of got his life together, but he's still struggling for money, doesn't really have any direction. And because of that, he falls in with this criminal biker gang because it will provide a lot of money, a lot of power. Now he's on Sons of Anarchy, you know, and he feels like he's really finally got his life together, despite the fact that he's you know, involved in a lot of crime and murder and killing. At least he has money and power. And then the zombie apocalypse hits and he gets in with the whisperers and falls behind Alpha and becomes Beta. So here yeah. we are going from high school student all the way up to zombie apocalypse murder machine as Beta. And so what we need now, Jason, is either... You know, The Walking Dead is the end of this character's story, so it's going to be some kind of redemption for him to get his life back on track, or it's going to be the end of his character's story, and 
he will die a tragic death in uh, episode 16 of The Walking Dead. So what, what do you think about that whole progression of this guy in that theory? So if I have this correct, in The Walking Dead, he is a psychic, former motorcycle gang country singer uh-huh. turned uh, apocalyptic leader. Correct. Okay. So that's how, you know, if he can see dead people, you know, that's how he controls the zombies, right? Oh my God. It all falls, to, it all falls into place. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe this whole, whole walking dead thing takes place in his mind and these aren't actual real zombies. They're just dead people he sees. I don't know, but I feel like if I had watched these four things in another order, like if I'd thrown on Sons of Anarchy first and then Lady Killers and then Medium and then Saved by the Bell, I don't know if I would have come come to this conclusion, but yeah. it, it just feels like the progression of this guy's life. Well, you watched them in chronological order too, right? The order in which they were filmed. Did I? I wasn't 100% sure about that, but I think, you're. oh, you're right, because Medium, we determined, came after Lady Killers, so definitely, yeah. Yeah. So I, I did not watch them in this order. I watched Sons of Anarchy first, then Medium, because uh, I wanted to watch the two things that I was familiar with, uh-huh. then The Lady Killers, and finally, uh, that show that shall not be named. <laughs> Got it. So, that, I mean, that's <laughs> that's unfortunate, actually, that you put that one at the end. Uh, it just, it, it was the, it was a dumb ending to a dumb day, and <laughs> I just want it to be over. The day, the show, I want to forget about all, all of that. That was, that was so bad. All right. So bad. Well, thankfully in that case, we are done here, but that is our actor spotlight on Ryan Hurst, who of course plays Beta on The Walking Dead and all these other characters in these other shows. So if you have any thoughts on his career or any of the stuff we've talked about here, feel free to send those in and uh, maybe we'll get them on a future episode of the podcast. Uh, before we talk about what we're going to do next time on the show, I want to just send out a couple of quick thank yous to people who have recently supported the Walking Dead, uh, the Talking Dead podcast. Uh, you'd think after uh, 10 years I could get the name right, but you know, it's late. Uh, first of all, and I apologize if I butcher this name, but Sign M recently became a patron on Patreon. So did Sean H. Thank you to you guys for... Uh, joining us on Patreon, and Paul G., who made a one-time donation on PayPal. Now, Paul sent a quick message uh, in which he spoils one cut of the dead, so I've cut that part out of his message, but he says, otherwise, thanks for the vigorous spoiler warning on your review of One Cut of the Dead. I took the advice and trial subscribed to Shudder to see what all the buzz was about. This is my way of saying thanks. So he made a donation to, to thank us for that. And Great. we really, really appreciate it, of course, to all of you guys. If you'd like to help support the show, you can do that by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the talking dead, or you can make a one-time uh, contribution by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal and uh, going through that process. So Thanks to everyone who does that. We really appreciate it. And of course, we really appreciate everybody who listens. All right. Next time on the Talking Dead podcast, what are we going to be doing? That is a very, very good question. And I thankfully have the answer. Uh, We've got a couple of recommendations here from listeners, and we're going to talk about two of them in two weeks. And the reason it's going to take two weeks is because we've got the full run 
of two series of TV to watch. And, uh, you know, seven days is a pretty short amount of time to do that. So we're going to take two weeks and watch the new show on Amazon, Amazon Prime called Upload. That was recommended by listener Jonathan on the internet. So thank you, Jonathan, for that. And in, uh, you know, I think what is a rather opposite choice to upload the HBO series, The Outsider. Um, I got to say, nobody technically recommended that to us, but I've already started watching it and I think I'd like to talk about it. So um, yeah, I'll finish that. Jason will get on board with both of those. And in two weeks from now, we'll talk about The Outsider on HBO and upload on Amazon Prime. So if you have seen them or you're curious about them, give them a watch. And if you can, get us in some thoughts or comments on both. And we'll try to get some on that episode of the podcast. Cool. That'll be in two weeks from now. I didn't look up the actual date. So in the meantime, if you want to get in touch about anything, you of course can visit our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top to send a message or just record a message into your phone and send it to us that way via email. That email address is talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to check us out on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. All right. Anything else, Jason, before we wrap it up? I am, I just remembered that uh, Mark from Facebook uh, told me that Mute by Piers Anthony was the book I've been looking for for 10 years, trying to remember what it is, not think, thinking that I was crazy for making it up, thinking, geez, if this was made up by me, I should write it down and uh, make a novel. But apparently it's now already a novel and I can listen to it on Audible. Already purchased. I'm going to download it on my phone and start listening to it right now. Thank you, Mark. I'm so excited. My wife will be, wife will be happy too, because I've been complaining to her for years that I don't know what this book is. <laughs> well, I mean, next time you can't remember something, just, just, you know, think about all the great people we have listening to this and you can, you can ask them what it is and chances are somebody is going to, to know. So, uh, that's great. And, and, you know, after you listen to it, if you'd like to give a little bit of more commentary on the, on the podcast, I'm sure that would be fine. I should have known it was Piers Anthony. I went through a whole Piers Anthony thing around this time. So you'd think that I would, uh, I would remember that, but I didn't. All right. Well, you're getting old. Your memory's starting to go. So it, it happens. <sighs> on a pale horse. That was a good book. <laughs> anyway, imagine, okay. Book by Piers Anthony, quick little aside. Imagine if you will. Uh, death is a real person and he's, he comes to kill you and you shoot him in the face with a shotgun. Oh, okay. Uh, then, then what happens? Well, the answer is of course you become death. Right. If you, so it's now your turn. So it's like the Santa Claus, but for death. <laughs> There's a, that should be on the book cover. It's like the Santa Claus, <laughs> but death. There's a whole series of books that he wrote, uh, back in the early eighties about, about this. Interesting. All right. Well, someday we can do the, uh, books about death show starring Jason. But until then, uh, that's going to do it for this podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ah, okay. I'm, uh, I'm 98% brain dead. So we better get this started before the other 2% go by the way of other brain cells. (laughs) All right, then. Let's begin. Here we go.